0: It's April the 6th, 2015. The skeletal remains of a man are found in an abandoned house in Granville, Sydney. The strange thing is that photos of these remains were posted on Facebook nearly a year before. Tonight, I'll tell you about the mysterious death of Roger Davies. Hi, I'm your host Cambo. Grab a beer and pull up a deck chair. This is True Crime Island, another true crime podcast. Well, this will be a little bit different episode to see the new year in. It's a strange story and one I wanted to speak about as there are plenty of people out there that might find themselves in a similar situation. So this is the story of Roger Joseph Davies. He was born on the 16th of February 1970 and his early life was spent in South Australia. He had two known relatives, a brother Damien and a sister Chantal. Chantal described her brother as a drug user and had no stable address. Chantal went on to say that Roger never married and to her knowledge he had no children. Police records did not contain any reference to children, although in an application for housing support, Roger stated he was paying fortnightly child support but did not identify the names of any children. Roger's adult life was not easy according to police and hospital records. He had frequent run-ins with the law and struggled with drug dependence and mental illness. His criminal history contains the type of offences which are usually seen with drug addiction, with offences for drug possession, property and fraud offences and warrants for failing to appear at court. A hospital record from the emergency department at Bankstown Hospital, dated the 3rd of December 2011, recorded the following. Mr Davies had collapsed and been brought in by an ambulance. The clinical notes record him living at that time at an address in Ermington. They note conditions of epilepsy for which he was not compliant with medication. Drug dependence, hepatitis C, depression... Anxiety, bipolar disorder and a left leg amputation, 2007, secondary to train accident. Hospital staff were unclear whether Mr Davies had suffered a seizure or a drug overdose. He was discharged after five hours observation with advice to take his epilepsy medication. Roger was frequently homeless as is indicated in the many police entries showing whereabouts unknown. He is known to have lived for periods of time at Matthew Talbot Hostel in Woolloomooloo and Hope Hostel in Parramatta, as well in other hostels, motels and shelters. Police found it hard to find anyone who knew Roger, but did find two people who said he kept to himself, used prescription and illicit drugs but did not know anyone who would do him any harm. So from what little we know of Roger, it seems like he suffered from a mental illness which probably over time with his drug dependencies made it difficult to establish some kind of normal life and as such he drifted around homeless for years on end. This will always make it hard for those that need to maintain some sort of regularity when taking their drugs to treat their mental illnesses. Throw in illicit drug use and boomfuckalunga, you end up with a chaotic life at best. So Roger's body was found on the 6th of April 2015. Natalie Bertrand was looking through the abandoned building at twenty three Carlton Street Granville in Sydney's western suburbs. It was a double story brick building that had one time been split into three apartments, but fire burnt out two of the apartments on the second of december two thousand and eight. After the fire, the place was regularly used by squatters and homeless people. Roger's remains were found by Natalie in the back room on the ground floor, and she immediately called police. When police officers came to the building, they observed that Roger's body had a metal prosthetic left leg. His body was clothed in a dark blue shirt and brown pants. In the rear pocket of his pants, police found a damaged bail reporting slip which had the letters Roger Joseph Dav on it. It indicated an attendance at Granville Police Station on the 23rd of February 2012. A check found that according to police records, Roger's last known contact with police was on the 28th of March 2012. On this date, he reported on bail at Granville Police Station police records noted that Roger had an artificial left leg due to an amputation of his leg below the knee. So police were able to establish the body was of Roger Davies by the bail slip with his name on it, dental records, the body had a metal prosthetic leg, and a housing assistance letter completed in the name of Roger Joseph Davies and signed on the 7th of February 2012. In the form, the applicant provided personal details which match those of the body, including that he is an amputee and is currently homeless. So now police are trying to find out when and how Roger died. Police records show that on the 28th of March 2012, Roger reported on bail to Parramatta Police Station. He had been charged with an offence of possessing prohibited drugs and was required to report on bail three times a week. He did not report on bail on the 2nd of April 2012 and there is no record of any further police contact with him nor since that date is there any record of other people sighting him alive. Warwick Main, who lived in Granville, told police that he recalled passing the Calton Street house sometime in the first half of 2014 and smelt a foul odour. He said it smelt like a decomposing body but did not report it to police. Now, this bit shits me a little bit. This guy probably couldn't be fucked getting involved, but all it required was for him to make an anonymous call to police, and they would have checked it out. Not that it would have done Roger any good, but still, it's not like out in the country where you will often get dead animals rotting. This is a suburban house. No friggin' cows around to die and stink the place up. Anyway, I will go on. Now, this little bit is the creepy part of the story on april the 12th 2014 photos were uploaded to facebook by a guy called jeffrey fisher that's j-e-f-f-e-r-y fisher f-i-s-h-e-r these photos show the closed skeletal remains of roger in the 23 carlton street granville house Along with the photos are these captions. The forgotten Australian was murdered. I found the murder weapon. I knew how it might have happened. When I woke up next morning, I went to Parramatta Shopping Centre, bought more cheap torches and come back to see Roger again. Made some films so he would not be forgotten. When I first seen Roger that dark, stormy, rainy night, I did think it was a real forgotten Australian. I thought it was some sort of joke. I continued to explore the ruins looking for the best spot to set up camp for that night. It was not until after finding Roger's room and come back downstairs to examine the body that I knew that it was no joke. The metal bar that you see is the murder weapon. The police station about 50 metres away. Another caption is, I slept in Roger's bed on that rainy night when I was homeless. I had come to Sydney looking for a place to set up the Office of Abused Children by Doc's Cops Foundation, Safe Homes for Life Projects. The next caption was, All Roger wanted was shower with a chair and a safe home. And another caption is, Back sunroom, left side was Roger's room. Granville train station, about one minute walk. The crime scene has been bulldozed now. I could smell the dead flesh from the street with hundreds of people walking past every day and police have made a film about that too. So these are the captions that uh, came with all these photos that he's uploaded to Facebook. Now they're still there. I have downloaded them and I will upload them probably to Instagram. But you can just type in Jeffrey Fisher. You'll find it yourself. So this Jeffrey Fisher guy, he did not himself call police, nor could police find him. Not that they looked that hard, as by Fisher's Facebook posts, he gets around and has some sort of political agenda he preaches about. On the, He's on the street with his homemade banners atop his suitcases. I reckon I could find him if I had half a look. Anyway, let's go through the photos and what the captions have to say. If you if you search photo, like I said, if you search Facebook, you can see his page as well. So the last known sighting of Roger is the 28th of March 2012. The photos are taken on and uploaded on April the 12th, 2014. The body on this date is just a skeleton. So you would think that Roger had been dead for quite a while, which Fisher mentions in the photo caption that he'd been dead for 18 months. Now, I don't think that a body in that state of decomposition would smell that much at all. But maybe the listeners could verify that for me. Also, he mentioned he knows how maybe Roger was killed And that was by the metal bar, which apparently is on the ground near the body. It's hard to see in the photos. Now, I'll go into the autopsy soon, but it did say Roger had broken ribs and that they had not healed. Now, this means they were broken shortly before or after death. I seem to think this Fisher guy knew of Roger's death shortly after, if not at the time of his death given he tells about the smell coming from the place. Fisher, being homeless as well, may have gone to sleep that sleep there at or around the same time Roger died, and that's why he mentions the smell. He has then gone back 18 months later and taken the photos. That means he may have been there around September 2012, a few months after Roger's last sighting. If we say that he was there even a little bit earlier then yes for sure there would have been a strong odour that Fisher describes. He may have even been in contact with other homeless people in the area and may know much more about what happened to Roger. He does mention how close the police station is and why didn't they pick up the smell. Now I just don't know. Anyway Fisher reckons Roger was killed by a metal bar found near the body and Roger did have broken ribs, which if you haven't had broken ribs before, that hurts like hell. Now let's go to the autopsy and the coroner's report. The post-mortem report of pathologist Dr. Rebecca Irvine could not ascertain a cause of death. Dr. Irvine found the body to be a near complete skeleton of an adult male with a below the knee amputation of the left leg. She found healed fractures on the of the right side ribs and left side of the jaw, as well as a healing fracture of the nose. Dr. Irvine also found multiple fractures of the left side ribs, which she described as perimortem, that is, occurring at or near the time of death. She was able to conclude this because the fractures showed no evidence of healing. It was not possible for Dr Irvine to determine how Mr Davies had sustained the rib fractures, nor was she able to determine if they had caused or contributed to his death, or alternatively, if his body had sustained them after his death. She thought that if the rib fractures had occurred after Mr. Davies' death, this may have been because of damage inflicted to his remains. Nor was Dr. Irvine able to make any findings as to the likelihood that Mr. Davies had died from natural disease or from toxicological causes, since there was minimal residue of soft soft tissue remaining. She was thus unable to test for the possibility that Mr. Davies died as a result of his epileptic condition or from a drug overdose. The cause of Mr. Davies' death, therefore, is unascertained. So that doesn't help much at all to see if Roger was murdered or died of natural causes. Police that went to the scene found so much rubbish strewn about the place, it was not clear if there was any sort of struggle in the room Roger was found or anywhere else in the burnt out house. There was just no way of finding any evidence. As Roger was one of the less fortunate, one of the poor and mentally ill, there is really no motivation or I suppose resources for police to follow this up any further. I myself believe that Roger was attacked by others for maybe the drugs or prescription drugs he had on him plus any money of course he may have had. The injuries he sustained led to his death. As I said before broken ribs are so painful and Roger may not have been able to move for the pain and ended up in shock and died where he fell. I'm sure Fisher knows much more than he's letting on in in, in regards to the captions of the photos and that he was there either at the time of the attack or shortly after. Now, no one can help Roger out at this time at all. But I will go on to another story of someone found in their flat eight years after they died. Now, according to the coroner's report, and that's where I'll get most of this from, In July 2011, the skeleton of a person was found in a derelict house in Surrey Hills. It was suspected the remains were of the female homeowner who had been born in the house in 1924 and who had lived there alone since 1997. Now this is the story of Natalie Jean Wood. Natalie Davis, as she was known, was born 11th of August 1924. From birth, she lived with her parents and her brother, Vane, in a two-storey, two-bedroom terrace house at 139 Kippax Street, Surrey Hills. Nathalie left school when she was 14 and worked as a machinist in a factory in Goodlet Street, Surrey Hills. When she was 20, she married Douglas Wood, a naval seaman home on leave during the Second World War. When her husband returned from the war, he and Natalie moved to Melbourne to live. They divorced after five years and Natalie returned to her parents' residence in Kippack Street, Surrey Hills. She kept her husband's surname, returned to work as a machinist at the same business she'd worked in prior to her marriage. After her father died in 1955... Natalie and her mother, Phyllis, continued to live in the Kipas, Kipak Street house. She stopped work around 1970. The reasons for this are not clear. In 1979, Natalie's mother became very ill and she and Natalie moved in with Vane and his wife, Enid Davis, at their Chifley home because it was near to where Phyllis was being treated at the Prince Henry Hospital at Little Bay. Natalie's mother died in December 1992. For the first eight or nine years that Miss Wood and her mother lived with Vane and Enid, Natalie used to travel weekly to the Kippack Street house to collect the mail. In December 1988 she had the mail redirected to her brother's address at Chifley. According to Enid, Every 12 months, she would fill out a form so that the mail would continue to be redirected. Thereafter, mail addressed to Natalie continued to be delivered to that address until the 30th of June 2004. After her mother died, Natalie continued to live with her brother and sister-in-law until 1997 when she moved back to the 139 Kipak Street house. The house had been vacant for many years and squatters had occupied it. Her brother and sister-in-law attempted to put it in some order before she moved back in. Although Enid acknowledges the living circumstances remained rudimentary, the toilet, bathroom and laundry were out the back out the back, across the courtyard in a building abutting the laneway. The kitchen used to be attached to the side of the house but apparently it fell down when Natalie and her mother were living with her brother and sister-in-law. Now as you can imagine this house they're putting this person into already sounds like it's about to fall down and not fit for living. The furniture and fittings from from it that could be utilized were moved into the dining room. She had a sink and a stove, but no fridge or television or radio. There were two bedrooms upstairs. Natalie utilised the one at the front, which opened onto a balcony. Miss Davies says that after Miss Wood moved back to Kippack Street, she would continue to regularly visit them and often stay for dinner. She says that sometimes Natalie would visit daily, and other times she would only call in once a month. Natalie did not drive and did not have the telephone connected at home. It's amazing. This house sounds shit. How can people leave one of their relatives like this? But look, I'll go on. Natalie's electricity, water and land rates continued to be sent to the Chifley address for some time after she ceased to live there. Enid said she would pay them with the money given to her by Natalie. Natalie. Last contact with Ms. Davis gave evidence that she last saw Miss Wood in early 2003. She says that for the first time in December 2002, they did not spend Christmas together because Mr. and Ms. Davies had been invited to spend it with friends. She says that on the 3rd of January 2003, Natalie Wood came to see them and told them she had a brain tumour. Miss Davies says Miss Wood, I I will call her Natalie from now on, Miss Davies says Natalie never visited after that and from that time on Miss Davies was too busy to go and look for her as she was caring for her terminally ill husband who was wheelchair bound and had numerous ailments including dementia which made it impossible to leave him alone. Miss Davies says she believes she saw Natalie from a bus on the 30th of January 2004, but admits she only deduced the woman she saw was her sister-in-law from her clothing, build and manner of walking. She didn't see her face. I considered that fleeting glimpse was insufficient to form reliable identification. She says that in 2007 and 2008 she made attempts via the police and Centrelink to make contact with Natalie but was unable to do so. Vane Davis died in December 2009 and in 2011 Ms Davies was in the process of selling their home and wanted to return some property of Natalie's that had been left at the house. She arranged for her solicitor to go to the house with a key That's weird. Why not go yourself? Anyway, on the 5th of July 2011, he persuaded police to go with him. That's strange as well. When the key would not open the front door, police forced their way through a door across a narrow passageway beside the house and found an open side entrance to the house. On entering the ground floor, they found the house in decay. Thick dust and cobwebs covered the sparse furnishing. Weeds and tree branches were protruding into the building. Upstairs, the rear bedroom was all but empty. In the front bedroom, they found a complete human skeleton on the floor next to a bed frame with no mattress. A walking stick, some jewellery and a pair of earrings were on the mesh spring base of the bed. The clothes the person had presumably been wearing were disintegrated around the bones. A bunched-up blanket, bunched blanket was under the skull. Some other bedclothes were under the legs of the skeleton. The drawers of a low sideboard were open, partially covering, covering the mid-portion of the skeleton. Pink dentures were intermingled with skull and jaw bones there appeared to be a a piece of clothing draped over one forearm. A packet of prescription medication that had been filled by a local chemist on the 30th of December 2003 was on the bed. So, police tried to find out the last known whereabouts of Natalie. They found that Natalie remained in hospital until the 1st of December 2003 when she was discharged home. The chart indicates that during her stay, on two occasions, a social worker called her brother's house to see if she could be discharged there, but this was declined. Nice. After finally she was discharged, an MRI of her head was undertaken on the 10th of December of 2003. On the 18th of December, she attended an appointment with her GP who renewed her hypertension tablets. On the 2nd of February 2004, Natalie failed to attend a scheduled appointment with a neurologist and made no further contact with health care providers. The last withdrawal from her savings account with the Commonwealth Bank was effected on the 20th of December 2003 when someone, presumably Natalie, withdrew $400 that left a balance of $6,900. Her water bill was last paid on the 15th of July 2004 at Maroubra. The water was unmeted, and so she was only billed a connection fee. On the 1st of March 2008, an overdue water notice was sent but not paid. The electricity account was last read on the 8th of April 2004 and last paid on the 17th of January 2008. At this date, other bills remained outstanding. Electricity reminder notice was sent to Natalie throughout 2008, 2009 and 2010, but no response or payment was made. The power was disconnected in May 2010. The debt had been detailed to a collection agency at the time Natalie's remains were found. Electricity usage was minimal. Throughout 2003, it has been calculated that the amount used would be equivalent of a single 100 watt light globe being operated for four and a half hours a day. As a pensioner, Natalie was entitled to a full pension rebate and accordingly no bills were rendered. Centrelink ceased payments to uh, to Natalie's account after the Commonwealth Bank advised them the account into which the funds had been paid was moribund. The account balance of $16,367 uh, at the time it was closed by the bank. Australia Post advised that their mail redirection service from 139 Kippack Street to the Davis' uh, address at Chifley Expired in 2005, but no paperwork was available to verify who had made these arrangements. So the coroner would find that Natalie Jean Wood's death could not be ascertained, but was probably from a fall around February 2004. Eight years later, her skeletal remains would be found in her house. Now, she had relatives and friends, plus so many utilities were sending her unpaid bills. So why the fuck didn't anyone check up on her? She was 80 years old for fuck's sake. So this gets to me, the and it's the whole point of tonight's show. Yes, in the case of Roger, it may be true crime. We can't be sure. In Natalie's case, the crime was just neglect of a frail old lady by those who should have kept an eye out for her regardless if they were or were not getting on. So, please, all of you on the island, for this new year that we're about to embrace, say to all of those close to you that you love them. If you know anyone that may need checking on, that live around you, make sure you check on them occasionally or call police to do a welfare check. I'm sure most of us had a wonderful Christmas, but there were others that may have spent it alone. Let's all try to reach out to them once in a while. We are an island. We are a community. So my Islanders, I'll end this last episode with a big thank you this year the island has come a long way and it is because of you the listeners the islanders that have made it such a great place i'll do all the patreon shout outs and i'll have a promo next episode and that will be on the 14th of january as i will have a week's break so this has been your host cambo wishing you all a happy new year and as i always say don't forget to your browser history. Good night.